Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert, fallen on the Mojave. If you are visiting our part of the high desert, welcome. Welcome to Dirt Pile City. Dirt Pile City is named for the scenic piles of dirt and sand and rubble piled alongside every road and business and vacant lot in the area. You see, it rained a couple of weeks ago here in Joshua Tree. It rained pretty hard. And I missed it. I missed the excitement. I was out around Area 51 and the Salt Flats and the Ruby Mountains. Running around up in the Nevada interior and Wendover, the biological weapons site where the Enola Gay crew trained to drop the bomb on Japan. It's an evil place, the evil seeping out of the salt-crusted land. It smells bad up there, too. Heading out of Salt Lake City is a particularly grim stretch of Interstate 80 through the salt flats, of course. It's like some dreary colony on a forgotten planet. Worker housing now and then, pipes coming out of the ground, great corroded pipes, lots of trucks and beat-up cars and weird smokestacks poking out of the sides of dead brown mountains. And when you finally get to Wendover, the Nevada side, called West Wendover, You are suddenly blinded by the flashing lights and the giant neon signs of a half dozen casinos on the frontage road. And at the end of that road is what appears to be a Home Depot, but it's actually a liquor store. The biggest booze shop in the world, probably. All the booze is cheap and you can buy it 24 hours a day and these shell-shocked Utah people are just grabbing everything, filling up giant shopping carts with gallons of every kind of booze. 10 o'clock at night, you haven't seen another human being for hours and now they're swarming a giant liquor warehouse. Well, that was the night I heard a monstrous thunderstorm cell had stopped right over Joshua Tree for half the night and unleashed an absolute hell of lightning and hail and several inches of rain. Now, several inches of rain is about what we get around here per year in these worsening days of the 21st century. You don't get much on a good year. Great rivers of sludge and boulders and mud and dead animals and slabs of asphalt ripped from the roads. That's what poured down the mountains in all directions. But especially the mountains that stick out between Yucca Valley and the tiny unincorporated settlement of Joshua Tree. 
And there are channels cut into the existing creek beds to carry off the occasional rain and mud. But this time, none of the channels could deal with the deluge. The flood control channels could not control anything. On a worn-out little two-lane road called Alta Loma, running parallel to Highway 62, but up the slope, uphill from the highway, one of those big channels spilled over the little road and it swept up a little car. A little red Volkswagen being driven home, driven home by somebody coming home from work on that wild and rainy night. Well, the car was lifted up like nothing and then it floated down the channel and it flipped over along the way. It was, as you see in the pictures in the newspaper, a convertible. And then it righted itself and wound up half buried in mud in the middle of the four-lane highway and what we charitably called downtown Joshua Tree. Highway 62 was shut down right there, like every east-west road, every through road clogged with debris, sometimes six or eight feet deep. The driver survived. Luck was on her side that terrible night. Hundreds of houses were flooded. Hail the size of golf balls smashed glass and pelted cars and rooftops. And the lightning was nonstop for hours. Dogs whimpering in terror, children crying, great rivers of trash and boulders rolling down dirt roads and neighborhood streets. When I got back to town two days later, the highway had been cleared, but the wreckage was still raw and fresh. The bulldozers and earth movers are still at it all day every day, two weeks later. The county poured piles of filled dirt up and down the ravaged roads, and some local yahoo had his own pile of dirt and felt compelled to stick a sign into the top of it, like the half-literate garage sale signs that litter every corner. But this one said private dirt. Referencing, of course, those famous marine heroes from the base in 29 Palms, Private Dirt and Sergeant Sand. They both died in a mudslide in 1965, having wandered into the flow trying to retrieve a six-pack of Coors. They got the yellow cross for that, not that they were around for the ceremony. The odd thing about it is that the beer was found just fine, washed up near their barracks. But nobody ever found the Marines. Nobody ever found anything but a sodden pack of Lucky Strikes, said to previously reside in Sergeant Sand's pocket where he always kept his spare pack. The cellophane was still intact, and his young bride 
was so distraught that she ripped open the soft pack and smoked all of them and fell over dead of a heart attack. Those had been the first and last cigarettes she ever smoked. When the Marines tried to notify her next of kin, they found she did not have any. Or I should say they found no evidence that she had ever existed at all. No maiden name. No place of birth. No friends or family arrived to claim the corpse. People say that late at night, in monsoon season, if you stand up on Adobe Road by the base gate at around 3 a.m., you can still hear her coughing. Of course, monsoon season isn't really a season anymore. The summer storms can come at Halloween time, Christmas, anytime, really. Things are sure screwed around. (laughs) A long time ago, you were standing on the side of the railroad tracks. been the town of Mojave. It might have been a long ago vanished corner of Victorville or Hesperia. It was all open desert. At least it seemed like it. Open desert with the railroads and the highways cutting through. And here at this roadside junction was a hotel and a liquor store. It was a special occasion leaving the desert again. For good this time. For good this time, I swear to God, never again, never again. No more motels full of black widows and centipedes and weird people who live in the rooms out back, doors open, arguments spilling forth, old cars, one guy staggering out every 15 minutes or so to use a car's cigarette lighter. You almost want to donate the matchbook from your own room, but it's not that simple. The big freight trains were rumbling by every half hour or so, maybe every hour. You lose track of time standing up there on the berm, standing up there in the mud from the storm a week ago. It was an El Nino year. You lose track of time. Drinking the syrupy garbage, the only wine at the liquor store. Way back then. Up and down the three aisles and no sign of wine. And then you ask 
the guy behind the counter and he grunts at you without looking up, without looking up from the little television set that he's watching. Or he's watching a cop show of some kind. The sound distorted. Next to the beer, he says, and you go back there and sure enough, there's some cold screw top wine. One kind is purple and the other kind is pink. And you stand up there in the desert mud, drinking Mad Dog from your respective bottles, paper bag and all. And by the time the train comes along, you are prepared for the moment. Prepared to appreciate the moment. There's a mysterious cemetery in South Phoenix, mysterious because you could walk right by and not be aware that it was a cemetery at all. We spoke to Jenny Russell about her discovery of this strange place and about her efforts to discover its history and honor the many working people buried there in the expectation that their remains would rest in peace. There is, uh, in South Phoenix, there is a cemetery. It's called the Sotelo Herd Cemetery. And between the 1880s and the 1920s, hundreds of Mexican laborers and their children were buried there. But um, after that time, the cemetery fell into a state of neglect and disrepair. And at this time, it appears to just be a vacant lot. There's no fence. There's no sign. Most of the monuments have been taken away by grave robbers. It's in, uh, so South Phoenix, it is a residential area. It's called the Sotelo Herd Cemetery. If you, uh, if you Google it, you can find it. So it's, it's a place that's listed on Google Maps, but if you drive there, you would just think, uh, you would just think it's a vacant lot, which are not uncommon in Phoenix. But if you know that it's a cemetery and you're walking around, it will start to come into focus that yes, uh, this is a cemetery. There are graves here. For example, like you'll see mounds of pebbles, maybe fragments of headstones, pieces of monuments that were left there a long time ago, like ceramic monuments that has a little print of an angel's wing. And you can you can make out the graves, but uh, mostly there's just broken glass, hypodermic needles, just kind of a typical Phoenix vacant lot. My brother was was talking about it. It was October. So I thought I would take a seasonally appropriate walk there. You know, I found there was like a boot heel with some nails in it. So like a very old-fashioned boot heel. These aren't like a, a modern shoe. And I wondered, like, is, could this be from one of the people that was buried here? And I thought, this, this couldn't be like a coffin. But when I was looking at the ground, I came upon a pile of bones. And when I bent down to take a closer look at them, it became clear that they were human bones. They were kind of like half buried. So it wasn't as if they had been unearthed, like nobody dug them out. They had just kind of been brought up by maybe the rains or the elements or just, I don't know, geology somehow. So 
I wasn't sure what to do about the bones. It seems weird to call the police and say, like, oh, I found bones. So I, I had to bounce it off a couple friends, and the consensus was, yeah, you have to call the police. Bones need to be uh, in the ground. They're going to have to repatriate them and everything. So uh, the police were called. They ended up treating it as potentially a homicide because it takes, you know, scientists are the ones who age identify the bones and everything. A lot of different people came out, and the forensics people from ASU came out. There were like 20 different police officers. And the feeling that we had, like my brother, my husband, and I, was that, well, this is good. Like, I think they're going to put a fence around the property now. But we, you know, we visited a couple weeks later. No, no fence. The property is still completely unsecured, so any weird person who wanted like a human skull to put on their mantles would only have to just like take the bus down to South Phoenix and, and kick some pebbles around and they could probably find one. The property owners were contacted and the people who own that property are actually, uh, it's a nonprofit who they help people to get FHA loans. So I don't know if they're like in over their, their head. It would obviously be a pretty major undertaking to identify all the graves and put everything everything back in the ground where it belongs. We did meet with a historian who works with Pioneer Cemetery Association. And we took a walk around the grounds. We wanted to see if there had been any active grave robbing or disturbing of the graves. And there's a foundation on the property, big foundation, where she said there was once a medical clinic. And she told us that rumor has it in the dark days before Roe versus Wade, this medical clinic was actually an illegal abortion clinic. And being so close to this long, neglected, abandoned cemetery, they used it as a dumping ground. It'll remain. So when bones are rising up, the little pieces of bones, you have to wonder if maybe there are some newer bones mixed in with the old. In what era was the clinic uh, on the I grounds? would guess that this was like the 1950s or 60s. And burials stopped, you said? 1920. If anybody has, like, a body that they... A skeleton, like a literal skeleton in their closet that they've been wanting to offload, this would be unlikely to be detected. I'm not sure if people who live in the area are, are aware, but it's kind of troubling to imagine that people might literally be walking by the bones of their ancestors and be unaware of it simply because there's... There's no monuments. There's no no way of marking it as a cemetery. Originally, the cemetery was, it was associated with the Sotelo Ranch, so like a very wealthy landowner, and most of the people who were buried there was employees at the Sotelo Ranch um, and their children. There's one grave there where there were um, like stones stacked on, on the grave. I don't know if that was just someone being, being weird or, or if it was someone trying to honor that person that was buried there. But when we took a walk around the cemetery with the historian, she said that there are some graves that are actively visited where there are fresh flowers being laid on the graves. So somebody, there are some people out there who are keeping track who know and remember where their loved ones are buried. So they have to trek across this broken glass. Yeah, and to be clear, there there are no monuments.
that soap and up the Desert Oracle mailbag. Dear Desert Oracle, I was able to catch your show when you were here in Phoenix over the summer and had a wonderful time. I just wanted to let you know I found out today there is still a working science camp for school children to learn about the Sonoran Desert here in Maricopa County. Evidently, the fifth grade class of the elementary school my son will attend next year takes an overnight trip to the Desert Outdoor Center at Lake Pleasant each year. I attended elementary school in Mesa, and our sixth grade class went to science camp near Payson. Anyway, just wanted to drop a line and say keep up the good work. Tristan Jones Hello, Tristan Jones, and thank you for the good note, and thanks for coming to the Valley Bar Show. Well, this is very good news. I went looking for the original camp several years ago. It had a lot to answer for, considering how my life turned out. And I was told by the people at the boat launch that the old camp had been drowned when the Lake Pleasant Reservoir was expanded in the early 1990s. I did not think to investigate whether a new science camp was built. Maybe it had not yet been constructed, I do not know. Looking at the satellite map view, the buildings seemed to be fairly new and a bit fancier than the camp I attended. I remember a ramshackle but charming camp with several small dormitories scattered here and there. I hope your son has a great time there. I glanced at the school camp's information on the internet and it looks like they still do the things I remember best. The dusk, night, desert hike, looking for ringtail cats and rattlesnakes and those little owls watching from the tops of the saguaros. And the campfire talks with the ranger and the marshmallows and all that. And hopefully Lake Pleasant will have some water in it then. That's always nice. After the reservoir was expanded, it took nearly 20 years for Lake Pleasant to fill up to its new capacity. Now here's one from Gary George. Good afternoon. Just wanted to let you know my son Sam and I completed our hike down the old government road from the place where the old road intersects Highway 95 to well beyond Government Hole. It wasn't easy, but it was very rewarding. Four days of incredible beauty and stillness and the absence of other human beings. The most notable event. On our way climbing out of Paiute Gorge... We encountered two desert bighorn sheep, a ewe and a ram. They were so unused to seeing humans that they did not run. They just stood there, about 30 yards from us, and looked at us. 
and that experience alone was worth the hike. Also, we walked during the new moon, so the night sky was filled with an incredible array of stars. Since I'm now 75, I may not make such a hike again. Gary J. George, author of Deep Desert Deception. Well, Gary, I'm glad you got out there, and hopefully you have many desert hikes to come. Now, there was a postcard in the P.O. Box, which, by the way, is P.O. Box 1735 in Joshua Tree. And unfortunately, it was damaged in the mail, so I cannot read the bottom half or the name of the sender. But it was from a long-haul truck driver who listens to the podcast of our radio show while driving up and down and all across the West, Elko and Boise and Tonopah and Gallup. I'm sorry I lost your name, but I sure appreciate you taking the program on the road with you. time Halloween time in the desert you can tell because all around the desert people have carved horrible little faces in the coyote melons and lots of people have put up more barbed wire and tires around their two and a half acres of sand and creosote to keep out any potential trick-or-treaters And the coyotes and the owls and the other voices of the night are all putting on their very best performances. And on Halloween night, down at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs, down the hill, spooky campfire stories and cocktails under the night sky outside around the campfire on October 31, 7 p.m., Outside with the coyotes howling, the children of the night, the raw wild mountains rising up behind you, the yucca man approaching. And afterwards, there will be seasonally appropriate DJ sets in the Amigo room. Dress up like a vampire or a werewolf, or if you are a vampire or a werewolf, Drop your workaday disguise and show off the real you. It's your night. Don't let your domain be overtaken by the likes of sexy Spider-Man or sexy Mitt Romney or whatever. Save the night. You've been listening to Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from Joshua Tree, California. Subscribe to the podcast or listen live on the radio Fridays at 10 p.m. across the Mojave on KCDZ 107.7 FM from Amboy to Isaacs. Thanks to Jenny Russell for talking to us about the skeletons. Thanks, as always, to Red, Blue, Black, Silver for the soundscapes. I'm your host, Kent Lane. Find out more about our operation at DesertOracle.com. You can get Desert Oracle Radio on your local community radio station, too, because we are distributed worldwide by Public Radio Exchange, PRX. If you're in California's Central Valley, listen for us on KFCF FM 88.1 Pacifica Radio in Fresno. I do hope you have a good Halloween. Good night.
from the Voice of the Desert.